Let us. Okay, let's uh, let's dig into Pinchas. Parshas Pinchas is a very uh, interesting parsha. In fact, there was a uh, there was a famous rabbi from uh, a few hundred years ago known as the Pinchas Halevi Horowitz. He wrote a sefer called Hafla, and um, He was a he was a great great one of the great latter commentators. And he used to when he was in his town. In his city, where he was the rov, I forget where he was the rov. He used to he, he didn't necessarily dress himself up and act like, oh, I'm a I'm a big rov over here. But uh, later on, uh, not later on, but other time when he would leave town, he would um, dress up the way a rov dresses with a nice hat and a nice jacket and etc. So they asked him once, "What's the deal?" So he said, "I learned from Pinchas, my predecessor." Parshas Pinchas, this week's parasha, when it falls out in the proper time, meaning when we're reading it, at the time of year that the parsha falls out, it's during the three weeks. It's a sad time. But interestingly enough, during all the holidays, we read about the sacrifices and the service which was done and the laws of those holidays. And what parsha is that in? Parshas Pinchas. So when Pinchas is in his place, he dresses like it's the three weeks. A little bit more subdued. When Pinchas is out of his place, so he dresses like it's a holiday, and therefore he gets all dressed up like the That was the way. Obviously, he had other reasons, but that was just the joke that he used to say. But um, I'd like to actually um, start with something that's not in the parsha, but it's about Pinchas himself. And we started the, the Haftorah a few weeks ago. Actually, discussed part of this incident, and the story was like this. Pinchas, as we know, according to many opinions, is Eliyahu Elijah the prophet is Pinchas, and he never died. He went up in a fiery chariot, as the prophets describe, and he is going to be the one that's going to come down as a person and tell us that Mashiach is imminently arriving. There's a dispute about that, but even according to those opinions that say that he is not Elijah, he's not Eliyahu Anavi, Nonetheless, everyone agrees that he lived a very long life. We see him here as the grandson of Aaron Hakain, the great nephew of Moshe. We also find him later on in various incidents in, in the Nach, in the Vim, in the Prophets, that he was playing a central role. So even if he ultimately died, according to those other opinions, but he nevertheless, he's definitely lived very long. So there was one incident that happened like this. There was a time period known as the Shaftim, the judges, that the leader of the nation of Yisrael, the Jewish people, was a specific judge. Shmuel, the prophet, was a judge. Shimshin, Samson, the, the right, Samson, the, the uh, great, whatever they call him, the, uh, he was a prophet. He was a judge, rather. And there was a judge at the time, at, at some one particular time, his name was Yiftach. Yiftach was a prophet, as a judge, I'm sorry, but he wasn't necessarily on the same level as the other prophets, and he was chosen for various reasons that the, the, the psukim, the verses over there, delineate why he was chosen. Be that, at, yeah, you're muted. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Uh, the judges were right after Joshua. Yes, correct. Directly. Joshua was was the second one, and then he, then after him started the, the judges. The judges, and then like Deborah and... 
Exactly. Devora, right. Right. She was one, she was a prophetess at that point. Yeah. So and last question, Rabbi, is Shimshon the same Shimshon with like Shimshon and Delilah and all that? Yes, 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 yes. It is the yes. same person. Yes. Thank you. In fact, in the in my night Chaburo, we're learning the tractate Sota. It describes a lot about what Shimshon what happened with Shimshon. And I keep on reiterating to the group that as much as this sounds like a uh someone who's living a promiscuous lifestyle, so to speak, he was a judge for the Jewish people. He was, he, he was on such a high level of holiness. On his level, there was a sliver of an infraction, but it was obviously on his level. And that's something which is, it's hard to wrap, it's hard for us to wrap our heads around, but nonetheless. I'm glad you said something because that's internally what I was just thinking. And then I was like, I shouldn't be thinking that. So yes, no, but that, you said it, something. it's a natural thing, but at the same time, we understand we're not putting ourselves in his shoes we're understanding that they were on a whole different level. So Yiftach was a judge. And at one point he was going out to battle and he said, Hashem, if I come back victorious from battle, the first thing that exits my house, I will offer to you as a sacrifice. Now that was an improper thing to say. Why? Because maybe a non-kosher animal would exit his house first. How did he know it was going to be a cow, a sheep, a bird? How did he know? Maybe it was going to be something that was not worthy of being brought on the back and not fitting, not able to be brought on the, on the altar. And in fact, do you know what exited, who exited his house first? From when he came home from battle, none other than, none other than his daughter. So his daughter comes out of the house and Yiftach is distraught, but he says, okay, there's nothing for me to do. I have to offer her as a sacrifice, not necessarily to sacrifice her physically, but ultimately he sent her to a to the desert and she had some time. The verses over there describe exactly what happened. But the law is that if a person makes a vow, there is a way for him to annul the vow. If a person, if a person goes to a rav, and the Rav, the Chacham, the wise man, is able to find what we, what's called a Pesach, which means a little opening to say, well, if the person knew X, Y, or Z, he wouldn't have made the vow, so then the vow can be annulled. And there was someone at the time of Giftach that was worthy, that was worthy of annulling Giftach's vow. But Giftach said to himself, it's not becoming for me as the shayfit, as the judge, to go to this person, Pinchas, to annul the vow, because I'm the shayfit, I'm the judge. He should come to me. Now, it wasn't necessarily a haughty thing, but it was a, a whiff of something not appropriate. Go to the shayfit, go to the navi, go to Pinchas. Go to the Kayin Gadol that Pinchas was, the high priest. Now, Pinchas should have also come to Yiftach. When he heard what happened, he should have gone to Yiftach and tell Yiftach, I'm going to annul your vow and show how you don't have to fulfill it in the way that you think you do. But Pinchas said, I'm the Kayin Gadol. It's not, respect, it's not respectful for the kahuna, for the priestly, the whole tribe, for me, the Kayin Gadol, to go. It wasn't personal necessarily, but there was again a whiff of something that was inappropriate. And therefore Hashem caused 
something to happen that they had to end up coming together. But the bottom line is that both Yiftach and Pinchas had to answer why they were unwilling to bend, so to speak, and go to the other person. Now, I think the lesson from this is really, really profound. And I'll, before I tell you the lesson, the reason is because I recently heard a story. Not, I didn't, did I tell you this? Did I tell you the story about Rabbi Shaul Salanter and the shoemaker? Tell us a little more. This? Maybe. It sounds familiar. Okay, I'm going to start saying it and stop me. Stop me. Stop me if I said it. I'm trying to think. Maybe I did say it. But anyways, the story was that there was a yid by the name of Yankel who was a shoemaker. And he was an Am Ha'aretz. He didn't know anything. He didn't know how to learn Torah. He didn't know anything. And he was also very poor. One day he gets a letter from a from the some lawyer, whatever it is, and he finds out that a relative of his had passed away, leaving over a very large fortune to him, to Yankel. No, I didn't say this, huh? Okay, good. So Yankel closes shop. He's not a shoemaker anymore. He's the biggest, wealthiest guy in town. But he uses his wealth well. He hired Talmidei Chacham Torah scholars in the city to teach him. He learned how to read. He learned how to study Torah. And eventually he became not only a great Baltstaka, a philanthropist supporting Torah causes, but he also became a big Torah scholar himself in his own right. He was now a Talmud Chacham. He was now from the, from the leaders of the community. What the pinnacle of success in his eyes was later on in life, his son is looking for a shidduch for a match. And what do you know? The Rav's daughter is of marriageable age, and the Rav chooses him as a machutin, as someone to make a shidduch with. And Yankel, the shoemaker's son, Yankel, not the shoemaker, Yankel, the Tabat Chacham, Yankel, the wealthy Valtstoko, gives charity. His son is now marrying the Rav's daughter, and Yankel was on cloud nine. He was literally flying. He was so excited. This is it. I went from being downtrodden to being a pauper who could barely put food on the table, who could barely read the sitter, to now I'm Yankel, Reb Yankel, who has such a hush of a son and such a prestigious shidduch that he did, a match for his son with the Rav of the town. They come to the Chasana. The whole town is there. It's not only the Rav, but it's also the guy who supports a lot of the Torah institutions. And everyone is there, and Yankel is, he's ecstatic, he's, 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 uh, he's filled with happiness. The chuppah takes place, and on the way back from the chuppah, the one yin in town who couldn't bear that Yankel is now Yankel Tamil Chacham, Yankel the wealthy Baltstaka, he is going to have his opportunity now to get back to Yankel. Who is this fellow? This fellow was a blacksmith. Now, he wasn't an ordinary blacksmith. He was the blacksmith who had a shop next to Yankel's shoemaking shop, to his shoe store, to his whatever, his thing. And it was very difficult for him to swallow. Here we are, Yankel and me, the blacksmith, we're next to each other, we're equals, we both eke out a living, we both don't know anything about learning. And all of a sudden, in 20 years, whatever it is, Yankel's now this Rabbi Yankel that everyone looks up to and everyone tries to get on, you know, to, to, to uh, have a relationship with him. And here I am, I'm the blacksmith, I'm nothing. So on the way back from the chuppah, the blacksmith 
takes off his shoe, and he calls out, Yankel, how much would it cost to put a taps on this shoe or to fix the shoe? And Yankel is mortified. Here he is at the pinnacle of success. Here he is, he reached what he was looking for, so to speak, that showed that he made it, so to speak, in his mind. And this blacksmith is here to ruin it. His face turns white. And the rest of the chasana, he was clearly disturbed. He was so disturbed that the next day he had a heart attack or something and he passed away. Tragic story. The story made the headlines. And Rabbi Yisrael Salanter heard the story and he said, how could such a thing happen? We must learn Musr. We have to learn about self-improvement. People have to work on themselves. If such a story can happen, we've got to do something about that. And because of that, he started the whole Musr revolution where yeshivas were dedicating time to learning Musr, where working men would go, besides going to shul to learn and to daven, they would go to what was called a Musr Klois. It was a room where people would go and they would have time for introspection. They would study books about working on one's character traits, etc. Now, that's the story. I always understood the story. Then why did Rabbi Shal Salanter start the Muslim movement as a result of this story? If you were to tell me, Steve, Arthur, Sally, what is the reason? What did Rabbi Shal Salanter see in this story that provoked him such that he said we have to start the Muslim movement? He thought that that uh, the blacksmith had embarrassed the shoemaker so much and had attacked his character and was just beyond what which is cruel that he thought this is almost baseless hatred in a sense, but. Excellent. That's exactly what I thought. Arthur, do you agree? You're, you're muted. I, I heard somewhere this morning, I think it was Rabbi Wolby's share about Pinchas and how if you are embarrassed, um, that's one way can immediately go to Olamaba because that purifies any of your, you know, your, your faults or anything else that maybe have been held against you. But I'm, I'm trying to see how that might connect with this. And I, okay. Just, okay, know, good. moving okay. too fast. So. so we're going to come to that in a second. Sally, did you want to add something? Well, isn't uh, when you embarrass a person, it's like murder. Exactly. Exactly. You're hundred percent right. Someone who, who, embarrasses his friend to the extent that they become white, the, the blood drains from their face, it's, it's tantamount to murder. I always thought, like Sally and Steve are saying, that the reason why Rabbi Shal Salanter decided he had to start a Muslim movement is because how could someone have the chutzpah? How could someone act in such a terrible manner toward another person? But the truth of the matter is that I think what Arthur is saying is really more like the answer. This is what I heard in the name of Reb Nocto Zenver, who is one of the great tzaddikim of Yerushalayim. He said the following. Rabbi Charles Alanter, obviously the blacksmith was in the wrong and he did a terrible thing. But, says Reb Nocto Zenver, that's not why Rabbi Charles Alanter started the Muslim movement. He started it because here you have Yanko, a, a shoemaker, a poor man, an unlearned man, who all of a sudden gets a gift from heaven. He 
has this money, he uses it well, he becomes a Talmud Chacham, he becomes someone who supports Torah causes, and he has indeed achieved success. And now the blacksmith comes and he embarrasses you terribly. For that to affect you to such a degree that you die as a result of it from a heart attack, whatever it may be, from grief, why are you taking it so seriously? Why does it have to bother you so much? Yeah, you could be hurt. Yeah, you could be upset. But to such an extent that it literally kills you? Maybe Shal Salam just said, if that could happen, we need to start the Muslim movement. And it, it flips it on its side, but it's so true. I mean, listen, I don't need to convince you. You all know, and obviously, we don't, we know, you know we don't talk politics in this forum. But at the end of the day, why does it have to be taken so seriously? So I disagree with you or you disagree with me. It's us. So what? I can think you're wrong. But do I have to take it so personally that it's pushing, it eats me up alive? Is that what it has to be? Pinchas and Yiftach were taking themselves on their level just a bit too seriously. Let it go off like water slides off a duck. Zonish Zion, it doesn't make a difference. And that's what Pinchas and Yiftach's little minor error was in. And that's the lesson from the Bishraal Salanter and from the duck. And from your email. And, and from my email, that's right. Jeremy, and I, Jeremy, my son, Jeremy, Arthur, and Sally. Uh, Sally, I think, met him. He, we can't believe how bent out of shape people take a side and then they can't forgive the other person. They're, they're not going to listen to them and they go crazy. They can't, the political, what you're saying. Right. Uh, it, it, people have so lost it these days. Uh, but I, I did have a question. Um, oh boy, now I lost my train of thought um, regarding this Torah lesson. I'll think of it and I'll come back. Uh, sorry. I, no I was going to make a point, but it, the political thing just, I, you know, I know. Some I think I, you, and this is Rabbi Charles Lanza was talking about. This is what he was talking about. And this is oh, why. I, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt, Rabbi. No, 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 uh, no, no, I know no, what no. it was. So who is really on a, I don't want to say higher level. Uh, we know on a more spiritual level, probably the Kohen Haggadol, but like in that instance, is it the judge or the high priest that's considered not more prestigious, but has more power over the people in a sense? It's a good question. It's hard to exactly um, determine who is on a higher level in terms of power. But Pinchas was a prophet. Pinchas was a kind of and he earned it on his own. Yiftach, as we said, was not necessarily on the same level. But regardless, he had the that's position of power. And you know, in fact, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, my great-grandfather, I don't know which uh, administration this was under, but he was in Washington, D.C., and whoever the president was at that time, he, he, he disagreed with him very strongly on various issues. I don't know exactly what it was. And I, I don't know if this particular president was beloved by, I, I don't know. I don't know the details. But he was with someone, and he was clearly showing a lot of respect to the whole atmosphere around the White House where he was. I don't know exactly what it was. And the person who was with him asked him, you don't like the president. You don't think he's a good person. And he said... I'm not respecting him. I'm respecting what he represents. If he's in a position, 
I could disagree with him vehemently, but there's a certain respect to the position that has to be given. And it's equal on both sides. It's regardless of what my, what I, what I, what, um, you know, what I subscribe to. Bottom line is there's a position and that's really what Yiftach was, even though Yiftach was not necessarily on the same level as Pinchas, but he was at the end of the day, the Shoifit, and therefore he had to, you know, he had to be given, or he had to act in a certain way of respect. Okay. Welcome, Dan. Welcome, Dan. I guess you got in okay to Chicago, Baruch Hashem. I just, we just finished talking about what the title of the class was. So you'll have to listen to the recording to get that part. Okay. Okay. Let's uh, continue on to Pinchas. Now, by, so the beginning of the parish, let's just re, re, recap for a moment. Pinchas was Pinchas HaKanoi, Pinchas Zealot. What happened was Zimri, who was a Nasi, who was one of the leaders of the tribe of Shimon, came before Moshe with a woman by the name of Cosby. And he said to Moshe in front of thousands of people, is this woman, excuse me, is this woman permissible to me for, for me to marry? And Moshe Rabbeinu said, no. And, Ms., and Zimri said, what's the difference between her and your wife, Tzipira? Moshe didn't have the response on hand, and Zimri went and had relations with Cosby. Pinchas came to Moshe and said, didn't you teach us, Rebbe Moshe, that that someone who does such an act, a zealot is supposed to kill him? And Moshe said, The person who read the letter, he is the one who should carry out what he read, meaning you're the one that brought it up and you're correct. So he wasn't paskening that he should do it because if a person is a kanoi, is a zealot, and he comes to ask a Shiloh, a question from a rov whether he should do it, and he's not allowed to do it. It's only if it's coming from his own passion to, 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 for his jealousy for Hashem's honor. Pinchas wasn't coming to ask permission. Pinchas was coming to confirm that his understanding of what Moshe had taught them was correct. So he wasn't asking for permission, and Moshe did that. And, and Pinchas then did that. So now in this week's parasha, the parasha begins and says that Pinchas... Hashem said to Moshe, Pinchas should get the reward coming to him. He's going to become a Kayin. Pinchas' father, Elazar, was a Kayin. However, since Pinchas was born, before Elazar became a Kayin, therefore Pinchas didn't get automatically the priesthood as is generally carried on from father to son. But now Hashem said, this is what Pinchas did. It's deserving that he should become a Kayin. Why? Because by him, killing Zimri and Cosby, that stopped a plague which was ravaging throughout the Jewish people. And just like he, through this act, brought peace between the Jewish people and their father in heaven, that's why he should become a Kayin, whose job it is to bring peace between us and Hashem via the carbonus, the sacrifices that we bring on an individual level, as well as on a communal level. Now, The question is asked. You know, you read a serial in a, in a newspaper and they always leave off with a cliffhanger. Why? Because they want you to come back and buy the next edition, right? 
It's all for the money. The Torah doesn't do that. And the way that Parshias are divided, Parshas Balak was last week. We read about the incident with Zimri and Cosby, Pinchas slaying Zimri and Cosby. And then we take a break. And now we pick up again in this week's Parsha. Hashem says to Moshe, I saw what, look what Pinchas did, and he deserves to get the Treaty of Peace. Why did the, why are we taking the break? What's the coffee break for? To wait another week till we get to the end of the story for Zimri, for Pinchas's reward. And the answer is, says the Sanzarov, the Sanzarov, the Sanzarov, the Kleisenberger Rebbe, the Kleisenberger Rebbe, I think it's talking about. He was the one who built Laniyaro Hospital in Netanya. He went through the Holocaust. Dan knows about him. He lost his wife and 11 children in the Holocaust. And then he went on to build another family and a whole dynasty, which that in and of itself, you know, there was a fellow who went through the Holocaust and he decided that he has, wants nothing to do with Judaism. He had too many questions on Hashem. He said, I don't want to have anything to do with Judaism. And people tried to talk to him and he refused to listen. So someone said to him, as a last-ditch attempt, go to the Kleisenberger Rebbe. He also went through the horrors of the Holocaust. He was also in the concentration camps. He also lost his family. And he comes into the Kleisenberger Rebbe, and he agrees. This is like, this is it. He comes into the Kleisenberger Rebbe, and he says to the Kleisenberger Rebbe with tears in his eyes, he's crying, he says, Rebbe, the Rebbein Shalom took the best. He took the most beautiful. He took the the biggest tzaddik, and that's who he took. And the Kleisenberger Rebbe said, I know, you're right, and they cried together. That was the meeting. But after that meeting, he's, he came back, and he reconnected with his Yiddishkeit. What did the Kleisenberger Rebbe do? He empathized with him. He understood him. He wasn't trying to convince him. He acknowledged what he was going through. It's a real thing. You don't try to suppress emotions. The emotions are there. You have to let it out. And Vaitikagangin. The Gemara says, ish. if a person has a worry, Yisichenu. Yisichenu. A person has a worry, Yisichenu. So Yisichenu has two interpretations. Either Yisichenu means he should take his mind off of it, or Yisichenu means he should speak it out to somebody and then go on with life. He should let it off of his chest and discuss it with somebody else just to get it off of his mind. And they're both right. Sometimes you have to just take your mind off of it, and sometimes you just need to let it off. And that was what the Kleisenberger Rebbe was doing with him. But anyway, says the Kleisenberger Rebbe to answer this question, why the break between the story of Pinchas and the reward that he got, says the Kleisenberger Rebbe, because when a person is a kanoi, when a person is a zealot, sometimes, sometimes, there's some other ulterior motive that the person has he may not even realize it, but sometimes it's there. And therefore, after a, an act of zealousness, there has to be derishas v'chakiras. It has to be cleared out and researched. Was this a real act of zealousness or was this a person acting on his own behalf? Reb Shalom Shadron, who was one of the greatest orators and magidim. He was a magid in Yerushalayim. He spoke all over the world. He used to go around collecting for yeshivas. He was a very, very famous, famous personality in Yerushalayim. Rav Shalom Shadron said about himself a story. 
<clears throat> he said like this. He said, this is a story that happened with him. He said, one time I was going out of town. I went out of, out of the country away. For, I was in a certain place for Shabbos when I was collecting. And it was Shabbos Rosh Chodesh. Shabbos Rosh Chodesh is a very special day. Musaf davening is a little bit different than the regular Musaf. Rav Shalom Shadron was not only a good speaker and a Magid, but he was a Koyin. And he was a Chazan, he was a Baltfila. He used to daven for the Yomar and the Chevron Yeshiva. A lot of the way they daven today is from him. So he was davening in the shul, and he had a very nice long white beard. He was a very prestigious looking person. And he was certain that he was going to get the Aliyah of Kayin, the first Aliyah, because he's a Kayin. He's a visiting Rosh Hashim. He's a visiting Ro. Of course, he's going to get Kayin. And he said, you know, I, I almost started walking up in, right when they started calling up Kayin, because of course, they're going to call me up for Kayin. But lo and behold, Baruch Hashem, my ears hopped before I started walking. Then, no, they called up somebody else. So I said to myself, what, the Gabe does? Maybe, maybe the Gabe doesn't realize I'm a Kayin. No, that's not a good reason. He, of course he knows I'm a Kayin. I just did, I just, uh, you know, whatever. I just, it was in Yerushalayim, actually. It was in Eretz Yisrael. He said, I just duchened in a different place in Eretz Yisrael. I said, I just duchened. I did Birchas Kayanim by Shacharis, which is the custom in Eretz Yisrael to do um, the priestly blessings every day. Oh, you know what? He says, I know why the Gabbai didn't give me Kayin. It's because he wants to give me maftir. Maftir is the last aliyah where you do the haftorah. That's also has certain prestige. Okay, fine. Comes my, sorry, comes maftir. And again, says of Shalom Chajon, I'm ready to walk up. And Pitton, what do you know? They didn't call me up. You know who got the aliyah of maftir? It was the Gabai. The Gabai gave it to himself. Ach, ach chutzpah. And he's saying, v'chol came anyone, everyone in the beginning of Musaf. Everyone who is dedicated to the seaboard, to the congregation, and does everything well with, with, uh, with uh, dedication should be blessed. Oh, he's talking about himself. Ah. All right, you know what? I know why they didn't give me Kayin. I know why they didn't give me Maftir. They want to give me Musaf because they heard I'm a Chazin. That must be what it is. Shalom Shajran is sitting there and he says, I'm waiting for that gentle tap on the shoulder. From the Gabbai, knew Reb Shalom, maybe you could dive in Musaf as the Chazin. What do you know? No tap. The Chazin himself is taking Musaf too. The Gabbai, I'm sorry, the Gabbai himself is taking Musaf too. And I'm, ha, see this, this is crazy. And I'm stewing, and I'm slowly, you know what? Alt is good, it's okay, it's okay. What do I need it for? It's not really for me, fine. We get to Chazar Sashatz. It's Kedusha time. And I'm already almost past this whole incident and I'm feeling a little bit as my ego is hurt. And says of Shalom Shadron, Kedusha is over. And now it's time for the continuation of Musaf Chazar Sashatz. Now during the regular weeks of the year, by Musaf you say Tikanta Shabbos. That's the, that's the part of the davening that you say. But on Musaf, you say something else. You say Ata Yitzarta. It's a whole different it's like a yomtiv davening. But this chazin, this gabai, he made a mistake. And he started saying, Tikanta Shabbos. So it says of Shalom Chadron, what did I do? I yelled out, Ata Yitzarta. Says of Shalom Chadron to correct him. Tell him, no, you're saying the wrong thing. You have to say the other. You have to say underneath the line in the sitter. Says of Shalom Chadron, why did I call out? Because the chazin has to say the right thing. 
Yeah, but why? Why did I call out? Why did I have to call out? You don't think it was because I was a little bit, I had my ego bruised? You don't think I was still licking my wounds? That's when a kanoi has to take stock. Say, what am I really? Am I really doing this because I, ha- I wanted to get back at the person? Or am I really doing this because I care about Hashem? And that's why, says the Kleiser Rebbe, the Pasuk and the Parshias are divided. First, the action of the zealousness happens. The next step is, let's do a research. Let's have a, what do they call it? A uh, independent, I forgot what it's called. An independent investigation. Yeah, something like that. To see whether it was in fact legitimate or not. Oh, Pinchas, you were legitimate, then we're going to give it to you. I'll tell you something else fascinating. If you look back at the end of Parshas Balak, when, when the story happened, the Pasuk says, the Pasuk says, Bayar Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aaron Pinchas saw what happened, what Zimri and Kazmi were doing, he stood up from amongst the people. And he took a spear in his hand. You know what that tells you? Says the Mepharshim. That tells you he wasn't walking around with the spear. If someone came to Reb Chaim Salvage and said, you know, you're a bunch of zealots. You're always looking for trouble. And Rav Chaim Soloveitchik said, absolutely not. You know, there's a very big similarity, says Rav Chaim Soloveitchik, between a housewife and a mouse. A cat, I'm sorry, and a cat. They're both looking for mice, right? And they both kill the mice, right? But there's a big difference. The cat is looking for the mice. The housewife would rather not find the mice. Pinchas didn't have the spear in his hand to begin with. He saw something, he took the spear then, and he committed the act of zealousness. When someone is simply a kanoi and simply a zealot for the sake of being a zealot for their own desires or their own decisions of what this has to be done, they have the spear there just in case. Who knows what I'm going to find? Who knows what I'm going to see that I'm going to need the spear? Pinchas wasn't that. Pinchas was vayikach remach biyodah. He took the spear only after he saw the infraction, only after he saw what took place. That's what Reb Mordechai Druk, who was another, he was, he actually, Reb Shalom Shrajan used to give a shir in the Zichon Moshe Shul in Eretz Yisrael. And after he passed away, I think it was Reb Mordechai Druk who took him over. And Reb Mordechai Druk makes this, he comments that it was vayikach remach biyodah. He only took it afterwards. That is the idea about a zealot. Rabbi? Yeah. Rabbi uh, Shalom Shwadron, what, what are his dates? What are his? Dates. When did he live? When did he live? Um, approximately. Approximately between 1900 and 2000. Meaning, he, I, I don't know exactly when he passed away. Um, okay. okay. Yeah, but he, he was a brother-in-law of Rav Shlomo Zalman Arbach. Shlomo Zalman Arbach lived either in 1900 to 1990, no, 1910 to 1994. So it's somewhere in that time frame. I think he passed away after Shlomo Zalman. But um, yeah, he was very, if you know, if you ever heard of Rabbi Pesach Krohn, 
Rabbi Pesach Kroh wrote a lot of books called A Magid Speaks, Around the Magid's Table, Along the Magid's Journey. That's all, many of the stories came from Shalom Shadron, and he was a very close student of his. The, uh, yeah, so that, that's how the whole Magid thing came to Thank America you. from that. Okay, let me end off with one thing about the three weeks. The Gemara says that when the Besamikdash is being destroyed, no one understood why is it being destroyed. They couldn't figure out a reason until Hashem himself said that the reason why the Besamikdash is being destroyed is Allah share us. We know about Sinaschina, the basis hatred that Steve mentioned before, but that was, he, he, there was the more inherent issue. And Hashem said it was al-Azvam es terasi, because you abandoned my Torah. And it's hard to understand. What does it mean, al-Asher Azvam es terasi? And the Gemara explains what that means is, shaloi berchu They did not say the bracha before studying Torah. They studied Torah. They learned Torah. They were involved in Torah. But they didn't make the bracha before learning. And it's very interesting. Just, they didn't make a bracha? Like, what does that have to do with anything? Well, why would they, why didn't they make a bracha? And is that such a big deal that they didn't make a bracha? So the answer to the second question is, yeah, it is a big deal, obviously. But, but um, in fact, according to some, you know, it, it's, it's, it's an important piece to do. And I'll tell you, what the Chassam Soifer says, the meaning behind this idea that they didn't say Birchus HaTorah first. And he says like this, what is Torah learning? What is the idea? What is the reason behind Torah learning? If you go onto the street and you take a poll and you'd ask people, why does one have to learn Torah? A large percentage of people will say, the reason why you have to study Torah is because you have to know what to do. You have to know how to live as a Jew. And that's a good answer. But if that was the reason, says the Chassam Saiver, that the Jew, that we are required to learn Torah, that means a very interesting thing. That means that learning Torah is what's termed and called a Heksher Mitzvah. A Heksher Mitzvah means a prerequisite for a Mitzvah. It's not in and of itself a mitzvah. It is a prerequisite. It's something which I need in order to enable me to perform the mitzvah. For example, I want to light the Hanukkah menorah. So I have to fill it with oil. I have to put wicks in. I have to set it up, etc. Do I make a bracha on that? I don't make a bracha on that because that's a hechsher mitzvah. That's enabling me to do a mitzvah. Says the Chassam Seifer, the Jewish people at the time were involved in Torah study but they viewed it merely as a way, a means to an end. They viewed it as something that is going to bring me and allow me to study Torah, to follow the rules of the Torah. And therefore they determined that we are not required to make a bracha. They didn't have that attitude that Torah is in and of itself a mitzvah. They said Torah is the way to perform the mitzvahs. That was their mistake. Learning Torah is the mitzvah. Learning Torah where it has no practical ramification 
in my day-to-day life is also a mitzvah. Learning Torah is a mitzvah in unto itself without the factor, the fact that I have to know the halachas. Of course I have to know it. But that's a second, not secondary, but that's, you guess you could call it secondary to the other part of the mitzvah, which is to perform what the Torah, to learn, to study what the Torah says. Why do I have to learn Torah? When I learn Gemara, when I learn Mishnayis, when I study Torah, do you know what I'm really studying? I'm studying and I'm learning Hashem's, so to speak, His thought processes, how He thinks Kibiyachol. That's what it means, Das Torah. When a person is involved enough, they can make determinations and make judgments based not on. I told you this. The Chavetz Chaim and the Chazanish is famous story. I told you this, I think, a couple weeks ago. That the Chavetz Chaim or the Chazanish, both of them happened with, they were at a conference and they said a certain thing, this is what we have to do. And they asked him, Avu state, where does it say it? And the Chavetz Chaim said, Dosh state. What does it mean, Dosh state? Over here it says, in my heart, because the Chavetz Chaim was Kulay Torah, is completely Torah. He, Kiviyochel, understood how the Torah tells us to think. That's what Torah learning is. Torah learning is not just to know how to live as a Jew. Torah learning is to learn Torah simply just for that. I learn a Mishnah. Yeah, there is an halachic ramification of when I could say Shema at night. But there's more to that. There's more to Torah than just how to live. Torah itself is it. And that was the mistake. They were learning Torah. Why is the Mishnah just being destroyed? Because we don't view Torah enough. Understanding that learning Torah is by itself an end. And with that, I will conclude. I will just conclude with one more thing. You know, this is really, it's not, it's not comfortable for me. But um, I'm going to say it anyways. 